Blog Talk Radio. gut feelings, deja vu, and dreams provide guidance in our relationships, our jobs, our career decisions, and our investments? Do you yearn for a mentor figure who can show you how to tap into your inner compass of intuition for help with everything from day-to-day choices to recognizing broader patterns in life and career? Could your inner clues be to success in not only business but life? Well, they most certainly can, and we'll be talking about all of this in just a bit, so stay tuned. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness, my private practice, located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams you live each and every week. And Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment information. 
Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening. Sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest, Rizwan Virk, is a successful entrepreneur, film producer, venture capitalist, and best-selling author. He is nationally known as a productivity software. He studied at MIT and Stanford Business School, and he's produced many successful mobile games such as Fish and Penny Dreadful Demi Monde. His most recent book, Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Inner Clues to Find True Success, is our topic for discussion. So let's welcome him now. Welcome to the show, Riz. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? Uh, I'm being well. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> I, You know, you are quite the multi-talented individual, and you share what you know so well in a way that really sense the rest can you know, try to emulate it, move forward in life. I guess my first question is, you know, you went to MIT and Stanford. How did you come to write this book? Uh, sure. Well, so as as you're probably thinking in asking that question, a lot of people who go to MIT, particularly for engineering, you know, they tend to be very left-brained uh, and mm. scientifically minded. And, you know, don't put a lot of credence in things that you can't see or, more importantly, things that you can't measure. Uh, And I was a little bit like that as well, you know, when I graduated as an engineer fresh out of MIT. And I started uh, my very first company. It was a startup. And I talk about that in my first book, Zen Entrepreneurship. And I started to have a series of experiences uh, which caused me to question uh, our common sense understanding of time and what, uh, is happening when, you know, is the past causing the present, is the present causing the future, or is it the other way around? Uh, and then as I started to investigate, you know, as these things happened, I started to investigate quantum physics and realized that from a quantum physics perspective, you know, there were models of reality where we are actually getting information from the future. And so, you know, that gave me some, some a ground more grounding and a model for how to think about what I call clues in this book, uh, which is all about our personal treasure hunt in life. And these clues are calling us uh, potentially from the future. And and I'll talk a little bit more about the the quantum physics of it or potentially from parallel selves. Uh, But really, as I would learn to use my own intuition and tune into different body sensations and also to tune out the noise through techniques like meditation and yoga, you know, I started to develop a, a nice balance between the left brain and the right brain in terms of both intuition as well as logic. Because sometimes, you know, people who are too left brain don't follow their intuition enough, but sometimes they do, but they don't use those terms. And at other times, people follow their intuition a lot, but don't use their logic at all. And that can be a problem too, and can get you in trouble. And so really, I wanted to come up with a manual for using the two together. And that's what Treasure Hunt, the new book is all about. It really is. I mean, it does talk about left and right brain so so much in balance, so that you can you can um, discern that okay, I'm using my logic right now, or now I need to use my intuition. It's it's much. I, I don't know. It's so easy to understand, and yet uh, as I read through it, I you know I use my intuition a lot, but sometimes I really do let logic override. And that was one of the things you you started telling us in the book about clue life cycle. And so I wanted to get into what exactly, if you could tell our listeners, what exactly is the clue life cycle and how does it work? Sure. So, you know, as I thought about these intuition and these hunches uh, that that would happen, uh, and, you know, sometimes it's as simple as we have a hunch about someone we haven't heard from in a while, and then they call us the next day. Uh, And that's an inner and an outer event. So I define a clue in the book as, the coinciding of an inner and outer event could be a synchronicity. It could be a, based on a hunch, deja vu. But the clue life cycle is really a way of thinking about how to collect these clues and then how to decide when to act on them and when not to. And so for people that don't act quickly enough, it's a way to act more quickly and to have some confidence. But for people who act too quickly, it's a way to slow down and say, okay, I'm looking for confirmation or a repetition of that clue. You know, you might have a dream about Italy 
but that doesn't mean you should get up and quit your job the next day and move to Italy. <laughs> on the <laughs> other hand, it's <laughs> on the other hand, it's very possible that you know Italy is in your future and that you are being called there, and so you need to follow a series of steps before you get there. Uh, and so it's a way of sifting through like the real intuitions versus things that are fleeting. And and so the stages of the clue life cycle, they start with the stage, the first stage, which is intuition. That's when you notice something odd. So you have to see something around you that, that feels odd or that gives you an odd sensation. And then you say that might be a clue. Uh, and then a second stage is interpretation where you say, okay, what might this clue be telling me? Now the third stage is not action, but rather confirmation. So you wait for the clue to repeat itself. And if it's important, it will. Uh, and then the next step is action, which can be based upon where you think the clue is leading you, which may or may not be where it actually leads you, but at least it's your first cut at trying to decide on an, an action. Uh, and then we get to the stages of, confirm, uh, of validation and reflection when the clues you know, kind of repeat themselves. You're going to have multiple clues going on at the same time. Uh, I'll give you an example uh, that I tell in the book. It's an example of seashells in Arizona. So a friend of mine in Arizona was going to her car one day, and she noticed a seashell in her driveway. And that was really <laughs> odd because, you know, she's in the middle of the desert. Right. <laughs> she's not near the ocean. And she noticed it, and it gave her an odd sensation, but, you know, she was on her way to work, so she just kind of said, okay, and was about to get in the car, and then noticed a second seashell in the, just a little bit further away in the driveway. <laughs> and now she's looking at it and feeling like, okay, there's something weird going on here. Uh, why are there two seashells? It's repeated itself, oh, but she still had to get to work. So then she was about to finally close the door in the car, and she found yet a third seashell out of the corner of her eye. She said, okay, something's going on here. So she got the seashells together. Uh, and so you see she went through the first stage and the third stage, so they don't have to be in order. You have mm. uh, the intuition and the confer confirmation and repetition. And then she said, okay, well, let me interpret this. What could this be, this be trying to tell me? Well, it turns out she had just seen – a movie, I think the previous night or a couple nights before, where there was a seashell that had made an impression on her, right? And and that movie was a movie called The Way with Martin Sheen, uh, which which is about the Camino del Santiago. It's a yeah. pilgrimage in Europe uh, from France to Spain. And, you know, she had seen that movie. Somehow the seashell had jumped out at her. And clues are very personalized. So if I saw a seashell, okay, I'm in California right now, maybe a little bit closer to the ocean, but still not that mm. close. It might mean something completely different to me. But for her, that was something that had stuck in her mind. So now she had an inner and an outer event that were coinciding. And, and she had thought about that seashell after she saw the movie. And now here was the physical seashell. And she thought, okay, it's, it's telling me to go on some kind of a pilgrimage. Now, as much as she would have liked to go gone to Europe, that wasn't in the budget or the cards for that moment. But she, she decided to take a smaller action of uh, going to Sedona, which is much closer, and her daughter was going through some problems, so she decided to take her daughter on a little pilgrimage to Sedona. And then they had lots of other adventures and, and synchronicities there, so additional clue life cycles there. But so that, that's an example of the clue life cycle at work when you notice a clue that's in your life. Well, and see, and this is where the logic the logic side of my brain would come in because I would be digging deeply to find out how did these seashells get here? That would like bother me. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. But, but, you know, if you're using the crew life cycle, the fact that you saw them two or three times, it's enough to say, okay, now it's time to interpret and take some action. And then well, yeah. you might get another <laughs> set of clues that might help you. I'm really, I'll tell you another story that happened to me early on in my career that really caused me to question, you know, and, and, and Jung defined synchronicity as, a meaningful coincidence, but he also defined it uh, in a more scientific term as an a-causal connecting principle. A-causal in the sense that you cannot say why X and Y are related, but they clearly are. Now, in her example, did her watching the movie about with a seashell in it cause the seashell to appear on the driveway? Well, logically, no, I don't you can't say that. But there was a connecting principle there, and the principle was in her mind. It was in the meaning of the event. Uh, and, you know, you, you, your readers probably have heard this story, but Jung told the story about when he you know, first wrote about synchronicity of a patient that was telling him about a dream that had an Egyptian scarab in the dream. A scarab is mm -hmm. like, a, like a certain kind of beetle. And as she was telling him about the dream, and she was having some trouble with the therapy. She wasn't making a lot of progress. But, so she decided to tell him about this dream. A, a beetle came and tapped on the window. You know, while she was telling him about the dream. So he opened up the uh, the window, and the beetle flew in. It was about as close as you can get to a scarab in, in Europe. And he said, uh -huh. there's the beetle from your dream. Okay. Now, that somehow the, unlocked the energy, and she actually was able to make some 
some progress in her therapy. So, you know, you can see how this a-causal uh, logical connection gives way to a more meaningful conscious connection that is meaningful to the person to whom the clue is occurring to. Um, you so know, that, that's it's, perfect. Yeah. it's really interesting. And, and through life, I think every single one of us can probably go back and do this backwards because as I read your book, I like the idea of writing these things down things that are clues or signs, and then watching them progress. But then you can look back to see it or did not work, because sometimes something will happen, and I'll think, oh, my God, why didn't I see those clues? You know, why didn't I see this coming when I can then go back and see exactly what was being shown to me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Well, sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a quote from Steve Jobs in the book where he, he says that sometimes you can't connect the dots looking forward, but you have to right. look back and you can connect the dots. And the pattern emerges over time. And it's this this pattern of clues and also this pattern of places that we were meant to be that I refer to in the book as your personal treasure map. Right? It's right. The, the set of things that you were meant to do. And it may not be just one thing. You know, I, I sometimes use the example of Winston Churchill who – when he was a boy, supposedly he told his friend, childhood friend, that one day I will be called upon to save the British Empire. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's a very specific thing, right? Most of us don't have that kind of very specific <laughs> right. to do, right? But I think each of us has themes and has things that we're drawn to again and again. And, and that set of themes is part of our, our, our personal pattern, our treasure map, and the treasure that we're meant to find in this map and, and I use the analogy of an Indiana Jones film like Raiders of mm-hmm. the Lost Ark, which you know you've seen and probably many of your yeah. listeners have seen. You know, in those movies, wouldn't it be nice if Indy was given a map right at the beginning that said, "Oh, here you go, X. That's where the Ark is. Just go get it." Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, would have been nice. That way. <laughs> it would have been nice for him, but it wouldn't make for an interesting movie, right? No. <laughs> one, and, and two, the way that it works is he finds one clue, and that leads him to the next clue. And that leads him to the next clue, and eventually those clues lead him to the treasure, and he has obstacles along the way. In his case, he has literal Nazis you know, stopping him from getting the, the ark, let's say. Mm-hmm. But with, in our case, our obstacles are more our internal patterns that get in the way sometimes of us being able to find our, our, our treasure, but also uh, sometimes we're repeating things unconsciously and patterns in our lives that can also be obstacles. And I think that's part of the reason why writing things down is so good, so that you can see how you make progress and what you need to do. And one of the things you speak about are clues and anti-clues. And I think, you know, everybody knows what a clue is, but if you would explain to our listeners what the anti-clue is. It, sure. And, and, yeah, I agree very much that writing down the clues is a great way to, one, you know, record them. Because sometimes, as I said, a clue indicates direction or timing. But rarely does one clue indicate both. That's why you need multiple clues to find the location of the Ark of the Covenant or whatever it is that you're trying to find. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes a clue will relate to something that happens, you know, years later, and, and that's okay. But if you're writing these clues down, you write down the fact that you had a funny feeling about X, and then you see another clue that might relate to that. Or it might not. It may be the beginning of a whole new clue life cycle. Um, and so then anti-clues – uh, is, is a concept that I developed when, when talking about obstacles that come up. The reality is we all have, uh, we all have patterns in our lives that repeat themselves, uh, and sometimes not to our benefit. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we may know people who've been in the same type of relationship but with different people, <laughs> um, and it goes through the same uh, cycle. And, and this often holds us back in our career and our work. Uh, you know, my pattern, for example, is to jump into something, I get really excited by it, I work on it for a little while really intensely, and then I get bored, and then I want to move on to the next thing. And then I do that very intensely for a while, and within a month or two I get bored and I want to move on to the next thing. (laughs) Well, that is a pattern that potentially a strength of mine, I mean the fact that I can learn things quickly and be successful at it is is one of my strengths, but it can also turn into a weakness uh, in the business world where you need to focus on something for more than a month or two in order to get a new product out in the market and for it to succeed. Uh, and so that's a pattern that may be unhealthy. And so if we can recognize these patterns, we can recognize the anti-clues inside of us, which are really the decisions that we make uh, unconsciously. And so there was, a, you know, there was a woman on a radio show I was on a few years ago where she said, oh, you know, I get into these business relationships and I can't really get out of them. And I said, well, has it happened at least three times? She said, yes. So I said, okay, then it's a pattern. It's an external pattern. Right. Now let's look at the internal pattern. How does it feel? when you're getting into these 
business relationships. And she said, well, you know, it's kind of exciting. I'm brainstorming with these people about things we could do together. I have this sensation of excitement. And I said, there you go. That sensation of excitement, which you might take, some people might take that as a clue to move forward with the business relationship is actually an anti-clue for you. So you need to, when you feel that sensation, that's your cue, that's your anti-clue to slow down and say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm excited about this project, but I'm going to wait a week or two. I'm going to set up some criteria before I actually go and sign the business relationship. Right? And so that's a way of disrupting this kind of habitual repeating of patterns. And it's probably, uh, so can, it's yeah, probably different ahead. to each individual, and I would imagine it takes a while to learn what your, what your feelings and your anti-clues, how you feel and, and how you're receiving anti-clues. That's got to be a learning curve, Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and I think clues in general and anti-clues in particular, you know, both have a learning curve in that we start to recognize. That's another reason to write them down because as yeah. we follow certain clues, we'll say, oh, well, you know, when I felt that last time, it was related to this clue and it actually went somewhere. Whereas this other time, you know, it, it did it. Uh, and so it takes some time. For me, you know, one of the areas where I get clues often, and I talk a lot about this in the book, is through dreams. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, one story that happened to me very early in my career was I, I had a dream about a competitor. So I was running a small startup in, in Boston, and there was this one competitor, and we hadn't heard from this competitor in maybe six months or a year. And one morning I had a dream where I was at a conference, and this competitor, let's say his name is Mark, appeared in that dream. Oh. And I just woke up thinking, how odd. Because right? I don't dream, I don't dream about my competitors all the time, and particularly right. this one, I <laughs> had never had a dream about him before. <laughs> and so, you know, the first rule of treasure hunting is: is it unusual? Whether it's a waking clue or a dreaming clue, and it was. So then I walked into the office that morning, and I got a call just almost as soon as I walked in from a product manager at IBM, which was a big partner of ours. So we made products that worked with IBM products, and he said, "Well, you know, I just wanted to give you a heads up because you're a partner of ours that." We're announcing this new product tomorrow, and you know it's a little unfortunate because it competes with your product, and we may end up crushing your product. But we wanted to be a good partner and let you know beforehand. Okay. Great, okay. <laughs> well, one, obviously, I wasn't excited that they were going to introduce a product that might crush ours, but I was I was puzzled. So I said, well, how did you know you keep this product for a secret so long? I've never heard of it before, and IBM's not a small company, so it's not that easy to keep secrets. And he goes, oh, well, we had that competitor of yours, Mark. We bought them last year, and they. They built it for us. I thought, huh, isn't that interesting? So I had the dream in the morning that somehow I was getting a, a clue about what was going to happen later that day and actually the next day, which is the announcement they were going to make and the call later that day. So that really caused me, one, to question our sense of, uh, of time and what causes what. You know, right. was, the, was the call causing the dream? But it happened after the dream. Well, then the future is causing the past. Uh, or is it something else? Uh, but so over time, I've learned now to trust my dreams, particularly the ones just before I wake up. If I see someone in the dream that I haven't seen in a while, I'll just reach out to them now and say, hey, what's going on? And I did this last year or a couple of years ago with a friend of mine, and, and I sent her an email saying, hey, you know, how are things? She goes, oh, I've been meaning to reach out to you. I have this business plan. I need to get your feedback on it. Can I send it to you? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was an example of an in and outer event. But, you know, it's very unique for different people, and you have to learn your own your own personal GPS, I call it. It takes some time to recognize that. Yes, and I think that lucid dreaming, you know, in the morning before you actually get out of bed, that seems to me to be a time when I get certain things as well. I seem to be better at hearing the anti-clothes than I am at the real clothes. <laughs> well, but I, I think that, you know, as I was reading your book and it said you were writing things down, I thought, this man writes everything down. He writes every. So one of my questions was, how many books of clues do you have? Do you have like a library using the Dewey Decimal System to figure this out? Because <laughs> I'm thinking that you well, have yeah, piles upon piles of these books. I, I do have a lot of them, and you know, now I don't write every single clue down like I used to. Yeah, do I didn't think you, did. I you got good enough at it where you can just keep it in your head. Yeah, it just kind of happens, and and the connection between one clue and another is the meaning, which is in our minds anyway, right? And so, you know, I, I started off with dream journals, and just like with dream journals, there are certain symbols that might be important. Uh, you know, I started to write down waking clues, and, and now I, I recognize the sensations when they happen. Uh, and then later, if I need to reference back to that clue, you know, I'll see something that will remind me of that original clue. <laughs> so the links are there, but it's always good, you know, at least initially to write down some clues, particularly if they're major clues or major decisions, you know, that, 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 that you might be making in your life. Well, you t you talked about that. You said um, the big clues, 
And so, you know, I mean, sometimes we do get a big clue, and you can move forward, and everything seems like it's going along, and you're, you're in flow, and you're in alignment, and you're doing what you're supposed to do. And then you get stalled, and no matter what you do, you don't seem to be moving forward. So is that a clue gone bad, or is that – I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah. So I wouldn't call it a clue gone bad, but <laughs> it's a good point. And it's something that happens to all of us. So in the book, I talk about this idea of the green light, red light phenomenon. Where yeah. you, it looks like you got a green light to go do something, and, and obstacles are melting out of your way. You're like, wow, this is amazing. I must be meant to do this. And then it stops. <laughs> and suddenly, yeah. you, know, you, you can't move forward anymore. And the way that I like to think of it is that, once again, clues in may indicate direction, but they don't always indicate timing or the reverse. And usually, when that happens, there's a sense of, okay, something's not quite ready to move forward yet. Because there may be other conflicting clues and other things going on in your life, but it may be part of the pattern. So I'll give you a perfect example. And this actually relates directly to the book, Treasure Hunt. So about in the 1990s, uh, I was uh, running a startup, and I wanted to write a book about startups. So nothing about spiritual stuff. I, I, all this stuff was still considered a little woo-woo, particularly by my investors and other people. Sure, and and yeah. I said, well, I'll, I want to write a book about startups. And it's not that easy, one, to get an agent as a, as a new writer, author. Uh, or to get a publisher, and, and you know, I was in my 20s and just getting started. And so, what happened was the first agent I emailed said, "Oh, hey, that's a great idea. I'd like to, uh, you know, I'd like to take you out of the client." I thought, "Wow, that's cool. It's moving pretty quickly." And then it turns out, you know, she was in LA in California, and I was living in Boston, and I was making a trip to LA in a couple of weeks. So I got to meet her in person, uh, and so it seemed like things were going well. And then what happened was she was unable to sell that book. So then it looked like, okay, red light was coming up. Uh, and it was a little myth because I thought, hey, you know, this, things are going well. But turns out that that uh, particular experience was pretty important to me because a couple of things happened. You know, one of which was she asked me during our meeting, well, what's the book you really want to write? You know, I know you're working on this this business book and we'll try to sell it, but you know, what's in your bones? And I said, well, I'd, one day I'd really like to write a book about business and synchronicity because <laughs> I had started to to focus in it and. It was because she asked me that that I really started to think more seriously about writing that. And here we are, actually almost literally 20 years later, right? And that right. was in 1997. This is 2017, and that was in the fall as well. Uh, that Treasure Hunt was just published, you know, last month. Right. And so, so it, it took a lot for me to have a lot more experiences with business and synchronicity before I felt ready to write the book. 20 years worth, and I've had plenty in that time. Uh, but sometimes. You know, it's it's a part of our treasure map, but it's not an immediate part, and it's something that we're meant to do at some point in time. And so that's a good way to think about it, I think, is that when obstacles crop up, that it may be a matter of timing, and you may need to do some other things for a while. And that's why, you know, this larger pattern emerges over many years. It doesn't have to be something that's just about what you're doing today or tomorrow. Yeah, and I, I firmly believe that timing has a lot to do with things because, Things can go along, as you said, they're going along just so swimmingly, and, and then all of a sudden you get the red light, and you think, why am I stalled, and what do I do? And sometimes it stalls you to the point where it's so frustrating because you don't know what else to do, so you have to, you have to go and do something else. And when you do, you learn a lot of things that will then somehow bring you back around to that original thing that was going so well and stopped, and you'll pick it up again because you needed to learn something different in order to make it yeah. work for the rest of the way. Um, that yeah. is frustrating as all get out, though. It's so annoying. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I, it I, is frustrating, uh, I know, because we want things done now, right? And, and we're told... Well, when you, you work know, really hard for it, you're expecting, yeah. you know, the gratification of, well, okay, it's kind of like if you start to bake a cake and then you can't put it in the oven for some reason, well, why did I start to do this if I don't have a pan? You know, I didn't think I needed You know what I mean? I, and why do you have to be stopped at that moment? Why can't you just have everything and keep going? Why were you given the clue in the first place to start it and have it go along so well only to stop it? And it can be years. Yeah, that's right. It could be years later before the pattern fully emerges. Yeah. And it could be the clue is you're picking up on, you know, something one of your future probable selves that perhaps is already eating the cake in this case, right? Or right. it could be writing the book or it could be living in a, in a particular area uh, and you always had a sense or it could be having an office in, in, in this area when you have a hunch about a building. 
And so, you know, in the spiritual traditions, you know, they talk sometimes that time doesn't exist as we think it does. And in quantum physics, it turns out that is true as well. Right. Uh, you know, in, in quantum physics, there's this idea that every time you make a choice, uh, this is an interpretation of quantum physics, that you end up in these parallel worlds mm-hmm. where one of you is doing X and one of you is doing Y. And, well, if each of those makes choices, now you're, you have you know, four different worlds and up to an infinite number of parallel versions of yourself. Right. I also think some of those come back together. Right? I yeah. was meditating on this, and I saw a symbol that looked not just like you know, a line splitting into two at an angle, but coming back together, kind of like a diamond shape. Uh, and so I think these, wor- these worlds are constantly being spun off and merged back together, um, and that the places that we were meant to go in this life you know, are kind of the higher probability places. And so you can imagine there are multiple future versions of you doing lots of different things, some of which you know, might be relevant to what you're doing now, some of which may rely on a totally different set of choices. And so in, in, in quantum physics, they talk about this idea of uh, the quantum foam and this probabilities of each of these in the future, like information coming from the future to the present, and which of those realities becomes you know, the one in the timeline that, that we're in depends on what? It depends on our consciousness and what we pay attention to. Uh, and so I think that's an important aspect uh, of, of how this works. And sometimes we might be picking up a clue about a parallel life. Yeah. Right? If, if we, particularly with the major choices that we make, right? I mean, you could eat eggs or, or oatmeal for breakfast, and it may not make a difference. It may to the chicken, but <laughs> it right. may not make such a big difference to you in that you may still be on the same path. You still live in the same house. You still marry the same person. Uh, and so that, that those have merged together. But in my case, you know, I live in uh, California and I spend time in Boston and I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur and I do a lot of creative things. We make films, we do video games. Uh, but, you know, one day I was driving by Stanford University here in, uh, in the Bay Area and, and I had this image of myself teaching classes there. And, you know, that's not something that's out of the realm of possibility. In fact, I already teach in the summer at MIT. I teach more startups, though, not so much on the academic side. Uh, and, but in this vision, it was more like a parallel life. It was like someone who had made very different choices, who went on to get a PhD rather than go off to start a company after school, who became a professor and is now teaching. And so I view that as a highly, as a high probability parallel self, right? Mm -hmm. It's one that could have happened, but it didn't in this particular case. But sometimes you pick up, pick up echoes of that. Right, and and you know quantum physics tells us that the the parallel lives or our past life, present lives, and future lives are all happening at the same time. So when I'm working on people as an energy therapist, and I studied quantum physics before I did that because I'm so um, skeptical about you know energy therapy. It's like you don't just wiggle your nose and, and people get better. What she's involved <laughs> in this? So I studied quantum physics to figure out if it was legit, and it turns out it was. So. <laughs> I was happy with that's that. That's right. So that's what yeah, I do with I mean, my, future, you know, that's my daytime job. But they talk, so whenever I'm working on anybody or myself, I always work on every incarnation of the soul's entity because, hey, if it, I really believe that what I'm doing here is affecting my other lives. And sometimes when something happens, I will yell at my other life and say, I don't know what you're doing in the other life, but you're messing up this one, so knock it off. <laughs> you know? So knock it off. That's great. Yeah, I mean, if the future is communicating with the present, that means the present is communicating with the past. Right. Which means that it's all happening, as you said, in some it has to be simultaneous way. <laughs> yeah, and that's why they came up with this idea of parallel lives in quantum yeah. physics was because, well, if you can send information back, then you can change the present, which that's means right. there must be another present <laughs> potentially out there. It's, so. it's really it's, it's fascinating, and, and I think that's why I really liked your book so much is because you were talking about that from a, a perspective that people wouldn't. You know, and I thought, you know, he went to MIT and Stanford. I certainly did not. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> this is what I believe. But oh my God, you know, somebody who's got this high level of education is, is telling us about this and 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 making it make sense so that you can you can change what's going on. The choices that we make, you know, if you really think about them and make them properly using your intuition, your intuition is going to guide you. I believe a lot better than your brain. Uh, yeah, I, I believe so too, and I think that's important. And, and most people that are successful follow their intuition heavily. They yeah. just don't use the language that we might use in, in the energy healing world or in the spiritual world, right? Right. They might say, okay, I follow, my gut is telling me to go this way, or yeah. they might say, 
you know, this reminds me of this other company and they went that way, so I'm going to go that way. But I've seen it again and again with very successful people where their minds will just hone in on one particular path. When other folks might decide, you know, eight of ten people might go the other way. But what is it that gives them the confidence that this is the right way to go? It's their intuition. You know, they don't use terms like synchronicity or dreams, although in the, in the scientific world, you know, dreams are credited with a lot of scientific discoveries. And, and you, even in the science world or the business world or the engineering world, you, you still have to bring together the right brain and the left brain. So it's not enough just to have the idea. Like, you know, shamans will go into altered states and they'll bring back information from non-ordinary reality, which might be helpful to the tribe. But they still have to convince the tribe to go in that direction. The right. same is true of scientific discoveries. I mean, Einstein did his little thought experiment where he was at the end of a beam of light, uh, you know, years, many years before he came up with the actual theory of relativity. And so it took him that many years to figure out the math and figure out how this might actually work. Uh, you know, same with Mendeleev when he discovered the periodic table. He had a dream as he was dozing in front of a fireplace, and he saw all the elements lining up into this nice table. Well, when he woke up, he had the idea, but he still had to figure out which element went where <laughs> and right. how to classify them. And yeah. in the real world, it's like that. You know, we might have an idea for a place to go, but we still have to do the work along the way to, to, to be successful at something or to get there. And that's why using the crew life cycle, you can start to do action in stages. Um, you know, I was talking to another radio host who she had an actual voice in her head say, move to, you know, New Mexico. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she didn't move to New Mexico right away. She started to do research on Taos and Santa Fe and figure out where she And now she lives in Santa Fe, but, you know, it was an interesting process. It was through that research that she figured out where in New Mexico to stay. And then eventually she did move and took, took the leap of faith, but it didn't happen immediately. And so we have to, you know, do these things in the real world, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and I think um... – Sometimes, like I know I had, I started a children's foundation in March of 2016, and the clues were there, and I saw them and recognized them as they were happening. One was a Walmart commercial, and I saw it like five times within an hour. And I don't watch a lot of TV, so I knew I don't watch a lot of TV, and I've seen this commercial <laughs> five times in an hour. Something's up with this commercial, but I didn't know what. And then it took five months later for me to go to an event and hear a, a story that was rather sad, and I sat there and I thought, wow, somebody should really do something about this. And the moment I heard those words in my head, I thought, you know, sometimes when you hear that, it's you. You're the one being called upon. And so I ended right. up doing a children's foundation. But I also know there have been many times in my life where I've thought of something and I thought, wow, I should do this. And then, like, you hear six months later somebody did it. I think the ideas are out there and it's whoever latches onto it and takes the action. So if you do write it down you may become closer to taking the action and being the one instead of letting it go and just thinking, oh, well, that was an idea and throwing it away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. And that's a great story, you know, seeing that Walmart commercial five times. Yeah, in an hour. TV. It was like, why is it running so much? <laughs> it repeats, which means it's, it's important to you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and, you know, sometimes things jump out at us. I'll tell you another story. Uh, this one also was from a, a different friend in Arizona who was thinking of buying a house. And this was just before the housing crash of 2008. So we were in a housing boom. And she wanted to buy a house, and she'd been working on you know, it for a while, and she just couldn't find one that she felt like buying, and she wasn't sure why. She was a little down about it. And then as she drove home one day, there was this car in front of her, and it stayed in front of her for like half an hour. So she was forced to like look at it. And that's when you know there might be a clue is when something is, repeats itself or stays in front of you in your line of sight where you have to pay attention to it. Yeah. And the car had a bumper sticker on there that said, not all those who wander are lost. Right. Yeah. And that had this a great message for her. And then yeah. Yeah, yeah, this was in the book. And then later she found a uh, she found that same phrase on the Internet. And she was like, okay, there it is again. It's repeating itself. And so she asked me, well, where is that phrase from? I said, well, it's from a poem in The Lord of the Rings, which says, you know, not all that is gold glitters and not all those who wander are lost. But right. for her it didn't matter because she wasn't even a fan of science fiction or fantasy like that. There was a clear message about it's okay to not settle down, and it turned out to be a good thing she did it because, uh, you know, the housing crash happened the next year. She would have had a mortgage. It would have been hard to sell, and she decided she wanted to move from Arizona anyway. So, yeah. you know, these messages come to us in different forms. And, and, and you're right in that I, I believe some of these ideas are out there. Um, yeah. And sometimes that in Native American traditions they say that the story is stalking the storyteller. So the story's out right. there, and it's looking for somebody to express itself, which is very And whoever gets it 
actually gets it and, and, and goes with it. You can say it and think it's a great idea, and then you see it on an infomercial or you see it, you know, somewhere where you say you read an, an article in the paper and think, oh, my God, I thought of that six months ago. Wow, I can't believe somebody else, you know, should have done something. There are so many times that we say we should have, but I have to believe just because it's out there and you think of it, it doesn't mean it's for you. You have to have that feeling of passion. It has to resonate so that you want to do it so that you can put those feelings into it. Otherwise, I don't think it will work. Do you? Uh, yeah, well, I think, you know, depending on what it is that we're talking about, if it's an idea to write a book or start a company or do something like that on the business side, yeah, I mean, you have to have some element of commitment and passion for it to work. But sometimes that can come over time, too, where it may be something you notice. And if you take an action in that direction, you may then find the next clue that then confirms it for you, and then you might get you know more passionate about something. So, you know, I tell people don't make major decisions immediately, right? But to look for a series of clues that might get you there, uh, because by then, if you may have other clues and other things that are calling to you as well, especially if, if like you said, these ideas are out there. Uh, I think right. it's an interesting concept, uh, and certainly with creative projects, you know, it's very true, and even with business projects, with startup projects. I, sometimes I, I used to tell encourage people to start businesses all the time. Now I say. Well, wait until you have no choice. <laughs> and by mm. no choice, I mean, like, internally, it's like you're thinking about it all the time, and you can't not do it. That's the time to, to go write the book. That's the time to go start the business. Uh, and until then, you can think about it all you want, <laughs> and you can do your research and do your homework. Uh, but just don't jump into it full time until you're ready, because then you know, like, things are built up, and it's really an important part of what you're, you're meant to do. Yes, and some of the things, I mean, some people have started out doing, you know, computer technology, and now they're selling, you know, ugly Christmas sweaters or something, and they're making a booming business at it, and it's funny to see the transition. It, it, you know, they've sold whatever a part of their business, so they've just stopped working and gone into it because it took them time to get to the point where they knew this is what they had to do, and it is working for them, whereas somebody else might not have that same success because they don't have the same passion for it, and I think... You know, sometimes I just think if you, when I read your book, I thought writing it down is very good because then you have time from your, it's very cathartic to write things down. And when you write, you're typically writing from your heart. You know, it's not always from your head. Your heart does get involved, and and especially if it's a clue, because some of these clues are going to lead you, you'll think, this is what I meant to do, and then you'll meet somebody and it will trigger something, and you think, oh, no, it's a different spin on it. And now you're going in a different direction, similar category, but different direction, and then maybe you take another detour. So all of those clues, if you, if you look at them, it does, like you said, it's a treasure map. It does show you where to go. And we've all seen those movies where there's going to be, what are they, booby traps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's going to be booby traps and obstacles, and you may end up going in a slightly different direction than you thought. Right. And that's okay. You know, but part of the reason to write it down is to take a stab at what you think it might mean. Uh, there's a story I tell in the book about calligraphy that's kind of relevant here. Sometimes we think we're taking a detour, but it's actually not such a detour when right. we see the larger pattern connecting. And so I tell the story of a young man who went to college in, in Oregon, and he was dropping some of his classes because he didn't really feel like taking the classes he was supposed to take. And he was at the edge of campus, and he noticed a flyer about a calligraphy class. And it called out to him for some reason. Right, And so he decided to take the calligraphy class, and he really enjoyed it. But this is a case where it looks like something that's a bit of a distraction from what you're supposed to be doing, which is you know, taking real college classes. Well, he fell in love with the idea of fonts and kerning and font faces and serif and non serif and all this stuff. And you know, later on, maybe, I don't know, 10 years later, that young man who was Steve Jobs was making the, the Macintosh computer. You know, he insisted that there be multiple fonts in the computer. Uh, and so a lot of what we have today and what we see, you know, for text, we're not looking at green screens anymore. It was because he insisted that that be in the Mac, which was the first modern GUI, uh, and which also came from his love of font, which looked completely like a detour at the time. But it ended up being a larger part of his pattern, not just because of that, the Mac, but also this idea of art and science and engineering and bringing them together, which was a theme in his in Steve Jobs' career. And we we all have themes in our careers that we keep coming back to. Uh, right. And the clues can somehow, you know, sometimes reveal those uh, to us. And sure. Everything that we've done in life leads us to where we are right now. And 
and there's a reason for that. And sometimes we don't get to know the reason right away, and we don't see it, and we can't see it no matter how hard we try until one one piece of the puzzle is put in place, and it's like, oh, now I get it, and you can see the whole thing happen. But what I loved about your book was that if somebody read this book cover to cover like I did and didn't start doing the, the spiral, I mean, I have a spiral-bound notebook. I finally got one. It's, they're not right. hard to get. It's just trying to figure out when <laughs> you have time to remember to get it, you know. And yep. I thought, this is such a wicked good idea. Um, <laughs> if they just, you know, write down the clues, but read the book first and see that all of these events happen for all of these people, you're no different than those people. Just because they're well-known doesn't mean that it can't happen for you. And if you start looking at your life and looking at things historically and seeing how that evolved for you, it kind of gives you the confidence that, well, if I do write these down, maybe it will help me, and you'll have a better shot at having things manifest much more quickly than the rate at which you're doing it right now by not writing it down and acknowledging it. So to me, it looks like it was, um, if you could go back, you know, you look, read the book and then look at your own life, it would be validation that this will work for you as well. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that's how you get the confidence to act on the clues right. is by writing them down and taking a small action. It doesn't have to be a big action right away. Sometimes a clue can just give us the energy we need to, to make a decision or to move forward with something. Uh, and, you know, I'll give you another example in my own life. Uh, again, back in the 90s, I was living in Boston, and I had just left my first startup, so I didn't have a job, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I kept thinking I wanted to go spend some time in California and some time in Boston and be bi-coastal, which really is hard to do if you don't have a lot of money. And you're just <laughs> uh, And so, you know, one thing that happened to me is I was thinking about this in my mind, right? So there's the internal side. I started to notice all these mermaids. You know, at yeah. different points around New England, and I thought that's odd. I've never noticed these mermaids before, and I mean like statues of mermaids and pictures of mermaids, not actual mermaids. Um, but turns out they were there all along, right? If you're in New England and you go to any seafood restaurant, they probably have a statue of right. mermaids. And I, I had lived there for ten years and never noticed it before. So first question, was it unusual? It was unusual for me to notice it. Second question, you know, did it repeat? It was. I was starting to notice them everywhere. And then the third question, uh, the third rule of treasure hunting is that these these are very personalized. So if you go through the clue life cycle, and I started to interpret it and say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, for me, a mermaid was someone who tries to live in two worlds. You know, I was a big fan of movies like uh, The Little Mermaid and Splash, you know, yep. in the 80s, which were about the mermaid trying to come into the human world. Uh, but for me, it was more a symbol of someone that could live in both worlds. And it kind of gave me the confidence to go ahead and try you know, to, to live on the West Coast and the East Coast. But also a lot of what I've done since, you know, one of my themes has been how do I bring some Eastern concepts into the Western world and this Western setting of engineering and business, which is where I spend all my time. And so it became a symbol for me that it's possible to live in two worlds. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's worked for me in many different ways. So many clues are what psychologists would call overdetermined. Right? So it's not just about a single interpretation. There may be, it may reflect on other clues and maybe a, a broader symbol for you, and that each interpretation can be cor correct in and of itself, kind of like interpreting dreams. You know, dream symbols often have multiple meanings. Sure, uh, and, and they're and different. different. For, yeah, exactly, and, and so they you know, can mean different things for different people uh, or mean different things just for you, <laughs> more than one thing, you know. And one of the other things, I mean, I loved your book, too, because you were talking about Boston, and it's pretty clear that I'm from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> you said wicked, yeah, everybody uh, always makes fun of my accent. I don't think it's that bad, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but one of the things, as I read your book, I thought, oh my God! In the past, like I'm going to say, three months, my favorite expression, and this this became a clue to me. It really did. As I read your book, I started laughing because something would happen. And I'd say, oh God, what fresh hell is this? And, <laughs> and as soon as I said that, it would be like, I better write this down because this probably means something. And you know. Every time I did, it ended up meaning something. It took me to a place that was like, okay, now I have to deal with what? But at least things were getting accomplished. <laughs> they right, weren't good, right. and, but they were getting accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that became a personal clue for you, right? <laughs> yeah, it really did, because uh, I'd be like, oh, what fresh hell is this? You know, come on, give me a break here. And, and I'd be, you know, talking to the heavens, and the heavens would not be responding except to provide me with another fresh hell. <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> But yeah. it all depends on as, as soon as you start to hear yourself say things over and over again, take note, take note, people, write it down, because it could work for you. I cannot believe that we are almost at the top of the hour. Is 
Oh, my goodness. This has been so much yeah. fun. Um, before we go, though, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and where they can purchase your book, Treasure Hunt? Sure. So they can go to my website, which is zenentrepreneur.com, um, which is uh, uh, you know, can be a tricky spelling it, but <laughs> zenentrepreneur.com. And from there, you know, I'll have links to Amazon where they can buy my book, uh, either Treasure Hunt or my old book, Zen Entrepreneurship. And then there's a bunch of stores around the country, so I always like to support local bookstores uh, that have my books, like in Rockport, Massachusetts. There's uh, Dark Star Philosophia here in Mountain View, California. There's East West. Uh, and so there's a bunch of uh, places like that that also carry the book. Oh, gosh. And it's a great book. It really is. It's fun to read. The stories were great. And it actually it motivates you and inspires you to do the little bit of work, it's not a lot of work. Just write these things down, and you'll see a pattern, and it almost becomes like a game. How many more times am I going to see this? How much more can I, you know, can I ascertain from this? I really enjoyed it, and I, I did get the Spiral Bound Notebook, and I am going to start doing it because I've been keeping it in my head, and I thought this is a smarter way to go, <laughs> you know. Do it this way and see what happens because I could use some changes, as I'm sure everyone could. So I really appreciate you coming on air with us. Thank you so much. And if you would hold on the line until I finish the end of the show so I can uh, talk to you and see how you thought it went, if that's okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposely. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link to this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so that they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. Also, my children's book, Santa's Tiniest Elves, just recently launched. A portion of the proceeds from the sale of the book is going directly to children in need. It's available at Amazon and your local booksellers. Please check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need, 100%. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries, stipends, or compensation of any kind. We are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. So thank you for taking time to visit our website, SojiHuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio and at SojiHuggles. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.